Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. A Christian woman had the habit every morning of waking up and going out on her front porch. And she would stand on her front porch and she would say, praise the Lord. And she lived right next door to an atheist. And uh, he would hear her every morning. So he got in the habit of coming out right after her and saying, there is no Lord. And one morning, the atheist heard the woman, you know, praying for food. And he said, oh, I got her now. So he went out that night and bought a couple bags of groceries for her and put them on the porch. And he waited for the next morning. She walked out on the porch and she goes, praise the Lord for the groceries he's given me. And the atheist jumps out from behind a bush and says, hey, God didn't give you those. I gave you those. And she goes right back to the porch, raises her hand and says, praise the Lord. He gave me groceries and he made the atheist pay for them. <laughs> One of the greatest musicals ever written is uh, Frederick Handel's Messiah. And the most famous song of, uh, of that musical, you might know what it is, right? It's the Hallelujah Chorus, right? The Hallelujah Chorus uh, the text of that song is, is drawn from Revelation 11 and 19. But that song begins with hallelujah and it ends with hallelujah. So it wouldn't surprise me one day if we get to talk to Mr. Handel to discover that he modeled that song after the last five psalms of the book of Psalms, which begin with hallelujah and they end with hallelujah. The word hallelujah is a transliteration into English of the Hebrew. The Hebrew word hallel and then yah, uh, hallelujah, is is praise Yahweh. That's literally what it means. Halle and I mean we say lu or uh, hallelujah, the yah is God. The hallelu is the hallel part or the praise part. The, the CSB, which we've been using, actually leaves the transliteration in there. It says hallelujah at the beginning, hallelujah at the end. The NIV, NASB, ESV, all these different translations, they translate it into English. And so the Psalms begin, these last five Psalms begin, praise the Lord, and then they end with praise the Lord. When I was young, praise the Lord was an expression that was used quite often. You know, you would hear people, something good would happen and they would say, praise the Lord, right? You heard that quite a bit. You don't really hear it uh, anymore unless it's the lady on the porch next door to you who comes out every morning and uses it. Back when I was young in the 1980s, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, remember they started a big ministry, which they called the Praise the Lord Ministry, shortened to PTL for Praise the Lord. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the conclusion of the book of Psalms. If you're our guest, we, uh, we've been studying Psalms during the summer. We, we've been doing this for the last two or three summers. And uh, there's five internal books within the book of Psalms uh, in your Bible. And it, there's two introductory Psalms, one and two. Then these five books, we took a Psalm from each book. And then, uh, and then we're going to pause. Well, let me just use this. I'll just use this one. I'll, I'll just right keep there you go. Oh, really? I'm really embarrassed now. I never turned it on. (laughs) This is a church where God humbles you all the time. Just want you to know, right? This is a church where God humbles you. (laughs) Sorry, Peter. I forgot to turn it on. Um, 
But the, there's five internal books, and, and we took a psalm from each book this summer, and we're, we're at the conclusion today. There's five psalms of conclusion at the end of the book of Psalms. Each one of them begins with hallelujah and ends with uh, hallelujah. So we're going to turn to Psalm 146, the first of those psalms. So open your Bibles to 146, and, um, and we're going to study that. I, I, I thought it'd be a, a place to begin before we actually even dive into the text itself is to answer the quest, question, what does Hallel mean? Hallel Lu, what does that mean? And how do we do that? Well, the Hebrew word Hallel comes from the idea they say the, the origin of the word, origin of the word, comes from the shining of the stars, right? So Hallel comes from the shining of the stars, and as the word, you know, you know, evolved, it came to represent shining light on someone that, or something that we appreciate, or someone that we want to brag on, or something we want to acclaim, or to hail. So the, the idea of, of Hallel is to express acclamation, appreciation. It, it came to include all kinds of things like, like gratitude or devotion. So to hallel is to, to use our voice to shine a light on someone. So this psalm, like all the last five, calls us to shine a light of gratitude, a light of approval, a light of appreciation, a light of devotion on God. That's what it's calling us to do. Um, how do we express praise to God? How do we express, how do we shine this light on, on God, this Hallel? Well, I found a number of articles on the web. You can look them up. There's just lots of them. Uh, they probably started with one person, but somebody took six Hebrew words that are associated with Hallel, and, and, and they kind of give us a picture of how to express it to God. So let me just, let me run through them in your bulletin on the back page. There's a list if you wanted to just note what they are. And again, the pronunciation is, is probably wrong, but uh, the first one was yada or yada. And, and it means to raise your hands. So we raise our hands as a way of expressing our words or as we express our words of appreciation and gratitude, we raise our hands toward God. So Psalm 134, 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord and praise the Lord. So we lift up our hands to the Lord. The second word is uh, toda, and, and this is uh, to express praise by expressing thanksgiving. In other words, the shining the light, we shine the light on God by being grateful to him, by telling others why we're grateful for what God has done. So Psalm 100 verse four says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The third one is Shabbat. And, and this is the loud, joyous shout of testimony. Psalm 63 verse three says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall Praise thee. In other words, my lips shall shout uh, unto you. I um, I couldn't when I when we got to this word and I, I saw that I, Billy, I couldn't help but think about the night you got saved, right? Because I mean that was a neat experience. Uh, you know, they had visited our church. I went and shared the gospel with them, and and that night Billy uh, came to trust in the Lord, and that was thirty plus years ago. So it stuck, right, Billy? <laughs> it stuck. You've been following the Lord ever since. So. Um, but the part I wanted to tell you about, and I, I think I've told you this before, but was after I left your house and I was in my pickup. I don't think it had air conditioning. I think it was your 
Jan, I think it was your father's pickup that I bought. I didn't have air conditioning. I had the windows down. It was summertime. And I'm telling you, when I drove out of Billy Love's house, I was shouting to God. I was screaming to God, not screaming in a bad way. I was just shouting. I mean, if you'd have seen me, you, you would have thought I was nuts. But I was so full of praise and excitement to God because of what I had just witnessed. I was shabaking God all the way home in, in my truck. The fourth word is samar, to praise the Lord using musical instruments. Psalm 33, 2 says, praise the Lord with a harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and, and, and an instrument of 10 strings. So, and when we're using our words to express hallel to God, we're to use instruments, we're to use music to do that. We don't just speak it, we play it and, and we sing it. And we have, man, such an incredible expression of Samar this morning and what Meredith just did in leading us, right? Barak is the next one. This is to kneel in reverence and submission. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Now, you'd be surprised if you, if you do a, a search of the Hebrew words. It, it doesn't really, it doesn't translate it kneel very often. It translates it bless, although the word is to kneel. And so evidently it became to kneel before God was a way of expressing blessing to God or a way of showing hallel to God was kneeling before, before the Lord. Uh, let me ask you a question. I, th- I thought of this this morning when I was practicing this message, going over it. I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question, so don't answer. When was the last time you knelt before God? Seriously, when was the last time you knelt before God? You know, some of you are sitting here, I'm sure, and you're saying, yeah, it was last night, man. Or this morning I got on my knees. And, and that'd be good. I'm glad for you. But you know what? It's been a long time since I got on my knees and worshiped the Lord and praised the Lord. And yet, but that's an expression of our praise. And the last one, the last one in Hebrew is uh, tehillah or tehillah. I, list, I listen to all of these, by the way, on Google, how to pronounce them, but I can't remember. This, this one's a bit harder to define, but it seems to be a combination of all of the things that I've already talked to you about. It's when we praise God with singing and shouting and dancing. I didn't mention dancing, but clapping, making loud noises, bowing, raising our hands, rejoicing before the Lord. Psalm 22.3, which is one of Earl, Earl's favorite verses, and it says, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. God is enthroned on the tehillah of his people. God's enthroned on the multiple expressions of our praise to God. 22.5 says, from you comes my tehillah, my praise in the great congregation. My vows, I will perform them before those who fear him. And maybe an illustration of this might be Psalm 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. And I know we're a Baptist church, so we don't practice this stuff very much. We don't shout. We get uncomfortable if somebody's shouting. We get uncomfortable if somebody's acting like they're out of control, right? But, but it seems like, it seems like the tehillah is when, when people are just shouting and clapping and singing and they're praising God from, from this expression. It's just an overflow of their heart. In fact, here's Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my heart, a song of tehillah, a song of praise, 
It almost sounds like it's just this thing that, that just kind of erupts out of us, right? And we just, I tell you what, in my truck that night, I was tehillahing, and I was, what was the other word, barakin'? Or, I was shabakin', and I was tehillahing, because I was doing all kinds of things in my truck, filled with praise for God. In Exodus 15, after God has killed the Egyptians through the drowning and the return of the Red Sea, you remember Miriam grabs a tambourine and it says that she just begins to dance and she begins to sing and she makes up a song. And her song was, uh, sing to Yahweh for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And if you look in the context, other women joined with her and they were just, they were tailing the Lord there on the other side of the Red on the Red Sea. I have a feeling that Tehillah is not a somber song, but rather a wild, uncomfortable, loud, uncomfortable song of joy. Very comfortable with that. But I think that's what Tehillah is. And this isn't in, this isn't in the Hebrew, and it's not, you'll not find this in the articles that I, I mentioned that you might want to look up. But but I thought of this, and I want to include it. In fact, I just wrote it in my notes later, because it's just not even in my notes, but I want to say it. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul calls us to offer the sacrifice, I think it's Paul, offers, calls, I don't, didn't look it up, the sacrifice of praise. You remember that? Is it Paul? The sacrifice of praise. And what is the sacrifice of praise? The sacrifice of praise is when I shine that light on God in the midst of my suffering. In the midst of my sorrows and my hurts, when, when, I'm, when I'm falling apart and broken and I can still shine the light on the goodness of God and on the love of God, man, that's a sacrifice of praise. And that's how we praise the Lord. So let's turn to 146 and let's look at what the psalmist says. This is an, uh, an anonymous psalm. David may have written it. Asaph may have written it. The sons of Korah may have written it. God knows. Hallelujah. My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles and a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He, execute, he is executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoner. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. As I read this text, this or this psalm this week, uh, it, it was kind of neat. I was sitting at my desk, and, and I got three pegs that I want to hang on the wall, that I want to drive into the wall, and I want to hang three thoughts of encouragement from this psalmist on each, of those, on each of those pegs. And I hope that you'll be encouraged as we walk through this psalm. The first peg is this. Make praise of God your constant ambition. Make the praise, the shining of the light uh, on God to, you know, make that the thing that you are always going to be about and always going to be doing. He says to himself, the psalmist does, self praise the Lord. 
shine a light of appreciation and devotion on God's self. And then he makes a commitment. He says, as long as I live, I will hallel God. I will praise God. As long as I live, I will sing praise. You know, we already spoke about this, what it means to praise, to shine to shine the light uh, on God. I remember years ago, Jill, we talked about this in prayer meeting this morning, but it was already in my notes to mention it. We were sitting over here. It was either here or it was back there before we had this part of the building. And Jill and I were talking and Jill made this statement to me and I've never forgot it. She says, Jimmy, my praise is to make God big. My words, my praise, what it does is when I praise God, I'm making it, I'm making him big to everybody who hears my praise. And that stuck with me. That's, that's, what, that's what Hallel is. It is taking our words and shining this light on God and making him big for everyone, uh, everyone to see him. How do we do that? Well, we speak words of praise. We sing words of praise. We shout words of praise. We raise our hands and point to God in praise. We use our bodies and our words to express that praise. And here's where I'm going to get personal. And here's where you're going to be upset at me. Forgive me. But I I just felt like the Lord told me to do this. Praise isn't a concept that we embrace as good. I'm going to repeat that. Praise is not a concept that we're just to embrace as good. Praise is actually what we do. We have to do it, not just think it's good. We actually have to praise the Lord and we need to praise him. Listen, again, you may disagree and it's okay, but we need to praise him out loud. We need to praise him in front of other people, not just in the recesses of our hearts or in the quietnesses of our rooms. And I don't disagree if you're in your heart already arguing with me. No, the praise of God is what I do in my heart. Psalm 139 from last week would would testify to that. God knows the very words that are on your tongue before you even speak them. So yes, you can praise the Lord in the quietness of your heart. But Tehillah in particular, but all of these things seem seem to point to us praising God, shining a light on him so other people can see him. So other people can, can get a picture of who he is and what he's like. So we are to praise. Listen, it's not a concept to embrace. It's a practice that I have to do. Again, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, maybe I shouldn't say these things, but I feel, I feel led to do them. We gather in prayer groups and it's just a few people that offer the praise. Most everybody else is receiving or or listening to the praise of others. And I'm telling you folks, I think God is enthroned when we all, we all praise God. We all speak out and and sing out and, and shout out and raise our hands up to God when all of us do. And I understand the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. I get it. And the, ex, and the introverts are saying, but Jimmy, you don't know how hard. It's easy for you to do that. It might be easy for me to do that, but it comes from doing it for years and years and years. It wasn't always easy. But I'm an extrovert, so it's easier for me than for you. But I tell you what, there's not an introvert here sitting here listening to me today that if something happened, you would not want to praise. And what I mean by that, your kids do something super, super awesome your kids do it. I don't care how introverted you are. You're going to stand up and you're going to praise that child in front of other people because it's just, you just can't help it. 
You know, because you love that child so much, you just, you overlook your introvertedness and you step out and you praise that dear one in front of others. Am I right? I know I'm right. I'm not giving you a chance to disagree. I know I'm right. (laughs) So I challenge you this morning from the psalm to make it your ambition to constantly praise God publicly with your life. Praise him in prayer publicly. Praise him with your body language publicly. Praise him with your shouts publicly. Sing praise. Sing like you mean it publicly. Remember when Jesus is making his triumphal entry into the, into the city, right? Remember that, right? And the Pharisees are telling him, don't do it. I mean, tell him to shut up. Stop, stop, stop this praise. And Jesus said, if they stop, the stones will begin to praise me. So, you know what, folks, let's just not let stones praise for us. Number two, Peg, make trust in God your constant foundation. Do not trust in nobles and a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Let's be honest, everyone. It's a whole lot easier to I've never, I've never seen God with my eyes. Maybe some of you have. I've never seen him. Now, I've seen with my eyes things that God has done, but I have never seen God with my eyes. I've actually never heard God with my physical ears either. Trusting in God whom we don't see is often harder than trusting in men that we do see. And if you, you think I'm just making that up, John says in his First letter, he says, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen when you can't even love the brother right, that's right beside you that you do see? So, so John himself makes this distinction that it's harder to love God because we haven't seen them than it is to love a person. Remember the story of the guy who fell off the cliff, right? And as he's sliding down the cliff, he grabs that bush and he's holding on for dear life and he begins to holler, is anyone up there? And he gets that voice from up above and he says, I'm here. He says, who is it? He says, it's God. Let go of the bush and I'll save you. And there's a pause. And the guy says, is anyone else up there? It is is easy for us to trust. It's easier for us to trust someone we see than to trust someone that we don't see. You know, I think we'd rather trust a king or a leader than God. And yet, and yet, the psalmist says, He exhorts us, don't put your trust in men. Put your hope in God. I think that's especially good advice as we approach the midterms. Midterms are coming out in a couple of weeks. And I tell you what, it's your responsibility as a follower of Jesus and a citizen of this nation to, to exercise wisdom at the voting booth, right? You should go and vote. And you should vote for people that you believe will lead us into the greatest flourishing as a nation, Okay? You should do that. But listen, do not put your trust in the person you're voting for. Don't put your trust in men, the psalmist says. He says, put your trust in, in God. So what, is, what does the psalmist mean? What does he have in mind when he says, people can't save us, but God can save us? Well, I personally think, I think God, the psalmist and God is ultimately talking about God saving us from death and the destruction of this life. Now, I don't care what anyone says. I, I really don't. I really believe that death is what we fear the most. 
And death is what we don't want. And I do realize, I do realize that your life can become so hard that you welcome death. I, I realize that. The world's broken, you know, etc. But when we're young and we're in a good space and everything's provided for, uh, we, have, we have provisions and we have relationships and friendships and all, nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to live. Everybody wants, nobody, people fear death. Noblemen, kings with their wealth may be able to save you from some particular problem, but they will never be able to save you from what we fear and dread the most, death. Whatever the plans of the noblemen might have been when they draw their last breath, they're like the rest of us. The spark of life leaves them. They return to the dust of the earth. They die, and with them dies their power, their plans, their purse. I mean, it all moves on to someone else. So the psalmist says, put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. Verse five, happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, not in people, not in the nobleman, but in the Lord his God. And I, I got to tell y'all, I guess I want to sing to you, but I'm sitting at my desk and, and this little song came to mind. Y'all remember this? Why so downcast, oh my soul, put your hope in God, put your hope in God, put your hope in God. That's what the psalmist is saying. Don't, don't put your hope in men. Put your hope in God. Trust in the Lord. Trust him with your problems. Trust him with your needs. Trust him ultimately to raise you back to life and give you your life back. Here's what Job said centuries, millennia before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. This, is what, this was his confidence. In verse, chapter 19, verse 25, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, I think that means after I have long dissolved back into the dust, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Don't put your trust in people. Put your trust in God who is going to resurrect you back to life and he's going to, well, let's go on and see what he says. The psalmist tells us why to trust in the Lord. Look at verse six with me. Trust in him, put your hope in him, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Let's go through the list. He's the creator of everything. He's faithful always. He executes justice against abused people. He feeds the hungry. He frees the prisoner. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts the oppressed. He loves the righteous. He protects the aliens from other lands. He helps the orphan and the widow, and he frustrates the wicked. What does the psalmist mean by that? You know, God doesn't, God doesn't heal every blind person. Yesterday, we memorialized Abby Breeding, killed by a drunk driver. Where's the justice in that? Many people are oppressed today and hungry. The wicked are often very successful. Just look at Putin. You might say, well, he's not all that successful. Well, he's been successful in bringing such terror and pain on Ukrainians. I listened to a podcast yesterday on China. And do you know that China is the leading country in getting organ transplants? You know, it takes years and years for us to get organ transplants. In China, you can go as an expat. You can go to China, and for $100,000, within two weeks, you can get a new heart, new liver, whatever you need. And you know how they do it? 
They do, they, all these Uyghurs that they've got in concentration camps and all of these, these people that they consider dissidents, they do medical tests on them. They have them all categorized. So you show up and you need a A positive, you're A positive and you need, you need a new heart. Well, guess what they do? They go and take a new heart out of a young person that they consider a dissident. Such injustice, such evil. Some of the things the psalmist say represent the character of God. And we can say these are always true. You can trust God. Why should you trust God? Because you can trust God. Uh, you know, um, he loves the righteous. That's what it says. One of the things he says, he loves the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who put their faith in God. We know that, right? So the right, righteousness comes by faith. So here's the deal. Trust God because he loves those who trust him, right? So that's what you should do. But these are, these are things of the character. These are true always. Trust him because he's the creator. He can do anything he wants, anything, at any time. Trust him because he's faithful. He's true to his word. But what, how do we understand things like he heals the blind, sets the prisoner free, you know, does something to the wicked, stops the wicked, he, he, the oppressed he lives? How do we understand that? So I want to give you three ways of understanding that why we should trust in God. Here's, here's a couple of ways. Here's three ways that we should understand those verses because they're hard to understand, right? Because we don't see that. So the first one might be, well, this was just directed towards Israel. They had a special relationship with God. If they were faithful, God would do this for all Israelites. So he would, he would heal every blind person. He would take away all their hunger because of who they were as a nation if they were faithful. They were never faithful. And that's the reason why we never saw God do what the psalmist says in Psalm 146. I do think God promised great things to Israel. Whether this is the reason why they never saw it, I don't know. A second reason, a second way of understanding these things that we don't see if we put our hope and trust in God. In other words, there's, there's followers of Jesus that are in prison all over the world now. They're not being set free. They're being killed. You know, their wickedness prevails over them. Well, we could spiritualize what the psalmist says. So God will set the prisoner free of sin. God will free the one who's, feed the one who's hungry with righteousness, right? He opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. So we could go through that list of things that we don't see, and, and we could say, God, you know, we could spiritualize those. In fact, many Bible commentators, that's what they said about these verses, that, that, that God really means spiritually, not literally. That's what he means. It's funny. Um, Yesterday morning, we were sitting on the porch, and Ann asked me, she said, what song are we doing? I said, 146. So she read it. Then she goes, how do we understand the fact that the blind don't see? I mean, the same question that all of us would have, right? God says, if you put your hope in me and trust in me, these things are going to be true, but we don't see them being true. So it could be they're spiritualizing them. I and by the way, Jesus did this. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are he who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. So Jesus spiritualized hunger and all. So, I mean, I think that's a possibility. But here's the way I understand this. I think what the psalmist is talking about is what God is ultimately going to do in his kingdom. What he's ultimately going to do when Jesus comes to reign. I know you tire of me. Those of you that are family, you tire of me talking about this and pointing you to the coming kingdom. But I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know how many years I have left, but I am committed to pointing everyone 
to the realized kingdom of Jesus. I want you to put your hope in the return of Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is coming, and I'm never going to stop pointing you to that. And today, Yahweh Jesus sits at the right hand of Yahweh the Father, right? And uh, one day, however, God's heaven is coming down to our earth. And this divine human king, Jesus, is going to personally and specifically rule and reign over me and over you and over all of us and over all the earth, over all the earth. So even when Jesus spiritualizes things in the Sermon on the Mount, he's always pointing to the realized kingdom. That's when the fulfillment of these things will be. When Jesus comes, the curse of the world will be lifted and there will be no no more sin or brokenness. There won't be any drunk drivers killing our children. There, there, there won't be any more cancer taking my dad or my mom away when I'm just a young kid. You know, there, there won't be any selfish, wicked people oppressing others. There won't be anyone acting like Mr. Putin is acting now. Put your trust in God because only God can raise you from the dead and only God can ultimately bring about the things that he's promising here. There'll be a day when there'll be no more hungry people. There will be a day when there'll be no more incarcerated people, no more blind people, no more lame or demented people. My father had dementia for the last three years of his life. And, 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 and it's only now, having been gone for four years, that the weight of missing the last three years of not being able to talk to him sits on me. Well, when Jesus comes back and raises my father from the dead, my father will not be demented. He will have his right mind restored and we'll be able to converse. There'll be no more oppressed or displaced people. There'll be no more orphans or widows. And the wicked will be frustrated. Actually, there'll be no more wicked Listen to what God says. The wicked will become like a vessel broken to pieces, Psalms 2.9. Ashes trodden underfoot, Malachi 4.3. Smoke that vanishes, Psalm 37.20. Shaft carried away by the wind, Psalm 1.4. A slug that melts, 58, Psalm 58.8. Straw that is burned up, Isaiah 131. Thorns and stubble in the fire, Isaiah 33.12. Wax that melts, Psalm 68.2. Or a dream that vanishes, Psalm 73.20. The wicked will not be in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes again. And I tell you what, we shouldn't rejoice over that. I mean, we should rejoice in no more wickedness, but it should make us weep that people don't know Jesus and how he wants to change their life for the good. Last peg, and I'm done. This is short. I'm almost finished. The last peg, make confidence in God your constant hope. And you might say, well, that's exactly the thing you just said. Well, the, the other thing was it, it's make, make trust in God how you live now, but keep your confidence, your, your hope in God for what he's going to do in the future. So verse 10 says, the Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. The psalmist says Yahweh, it's the word Yahweh, it's God's given name for himself, the ever-present one, I am. I am, Yahweh, says he reigns forever. He reigns for all generations. So the eternal God is, is going to reign eternally over everything. So let that be your constant hope. 
Let it be your hope that because he reigns, he can fix this. Because he reigns, he can restore joy in the year that the locusts have eaten. He can fix all of that, and he will. And and all of this will be but a shadow of the past when, when he comes again and sets up his kingdom. And so hope in him continually, and hope in him relentlessly. Don't let anything rob your hope or steal your hope. Earthly leaders are going to come. They're going to come and they're going to go. They're going to be like the morning fog that comes in and then is burned off and there'll be no more. I mean, we know their names from the past, like Winston Churchill and and, and other great leaders from the past. We, We know of their past, but they're gone. And regardless of their wisdom and their power and their personality and influence, I mean, they're off the scene. But our king, the Lord Jesus, and he's alive, and he reigns, and he rules. Our king is the Lord, who is king forevermore. So Revelation, as, as God brings his book to an end, in Revelation eleven fifteen, John writes, he says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, even his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And then the psalmist ends, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now this morning, I'm finished with the psalm. And I want, to, I want to ask you to apply this psalm. And I want to do it in two ways. One is I want to tell you that the greatest way to shine your light on God, the greatest way to shine your light on Jesus is for you is for you to receive him, for you to follow him, for you to make him your king. Making Jesus king is not just a concept to think about. It's an action for you to take. You know, by faith, you make Jesus king. And so I'm inviting you this morning to make Jesus king. If you're here this morning, he's not your king, make him your king. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. I testify to the fact that Jesus is a great savior and a great God and a great king. And I commend him to you, follow him. He's worthy of your praise. He's the creator of all things. But but for the rest of us who are already following King Jesus, I would say to you, make it your goal. Make it your, remember the first thing that I, that I said about, uh, about, uh, about the psalmist, make it your life ambition to praise him. Do that, everyone. Let's make it our life ambition to shine the light of our lives on the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.